0: Welcome to the Three Things Podcast, where each week we have a guest specialist to tell us three things about their area of expertise. This Hi. week we have Joan Malloy. She's a professional offshore solo sailor. She's going to tell us three things about that. I'm your host, George Hooker. This is episode one. This week's three things, sleep, determination and risk. Hi, John. Hi. So can you tell us a bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, my name is Joe Malloy, I'm from Westport in County Mayo and I grew up there and learned to sail when I was about eight in Clue Bay. My dad is a muscle farmer there, so I guess there's always a bit of a connection with the sea since since I was a child. And the last few years I have started a career as a professional solo sailor.
0: So uh, what does that entail exactly?
1: So a solo sailor is somebody who does races by themselves and I'm an offshore solo sailor so I do races offshore by myself and when I say offshore I mean far away from coast going for days and nights at a time and I'm professional in that it's my only job. (laughs) Um,
0: Offshore solo sailing sounds like maybe one of the most extreme types of sailing, is that right?
1: I I like to think so (laughs) and I know some other some other solo sailors who like to think so as well but um, it's certainly a interesting part of the sport
0: and uh, what made you decide that you wanted to sail professionally
1: I'd always loved sailing like I said I'd learned to sail when I was a kid and then I sailed you know every summer when I was growing up in Mayo Sailing Club in Westport doing just the junior sailing courses and kind of just summer camps basically but I always really loved it and then as I got to be a teenager I did a bit more racing and racing on bigger boats and then when I went to university, I was in the sailing club there and kind of it just grew with me. And it was only um, it probably in my late 20s that I realised that I could actually do it for a job. It hadn't really occurred to me before. So I went to university and qualified as an engineer. I'm actually a qualified civil engineer. And after, it was after a couple of years of engineering, I just got an, offered an opportunity to come and work on a boat as professional crew. And I took it and... At the time, I kind of thought, okay, that's nice. I'll take a year off and do a bit of this, and I'll get back to engineering. But when I went back to engineering, I couldn't hack it at all. And I was like, no, this is, this is really what I want to do. This is my career. This See, is where I want to follow.
0: You got that taste of uh, professional sailing life. and
1: Yeah, exactly. I got that taste, and I, I couldn't go back.
0: And um, you have uh, aspirations to race in the Vendée Globe, is that right?
1: I do. So the Vendée Globe is a, a huge race, probably the pinnacle of all the, the solo offshore sailors' dream. And even as a, as a sporting event, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty serious undertaking. So the race, it's called the Vendée Globe, and it's a non-stop, solo, unassisted race around the world. So that means you leave a port in France, you go down the Atlantic and you turn left... Keep going, you <laughs> turn left again when you get back to the Atlantic and you come back to France. And that's about 25,000 nautical miles, so that's about 50,000 kilometres. And you sail it completely by yourself, night and day, no stops, you're not allowed to have any assistance from anybody else. And the race happens every four years, so it's a big event. Um, it's a huge event in the sailing calendar and it's a big sporting event.
0: And how long would it take you to complete a race like that?
1: The race record is about 74 days, 71 days, I think, in the last one. he th- They smashed it in the last one, 71 days now. And I would realistically, on my first go, I'd probably hope to do it in like 90 to 100 days.
0: 90 to 100 days, that's a huge amount of time to be on your own at sea.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a long time, yeah. I'll let you know how it goes.
0: <laughs> so... Um, uh, So we've asked you to bring in three things about uh, offshore solo sailing. So um, which three things did you choose?
1: So this was a hard one to choose three things that kind of illustrated life as a solo sailor. But the three things that I've chosen are sleep, determination and risk.
0: Cool. So uh, let's start with sleep. Where does uh, sleep factor into these uh, long solo races across the ocean?
1: So as a solo sailor, sleep and your relationship with sleep is incredibly important. It's a huge part of your performance and your decision-making ability on the boat. And as you can imagine, if you're sailing on the boat by yourself, you are in charge of everything on board. All of the decisions, all of the strategy, all of the making the boat go faster, making the navigational choices, checking the weather, checking what your competitors are doing, there's a never-ending list of of things that you have to be doing and also on that list is looking after yourself because you essentially become a part of the equipment so you have to make sure that you're well fed you have drunk enough you've got the right clothes on you're not getting too cold or too hot and that you've slept enough and when I say enough it's probably different from you know here we are (laughs) in, in a nice normal week and we probably had seven hours sleep in a nice still dry bed somewhere and it's very different when you're solo sailing because you're the only person there you have to look after the boat so you can only sleep you can only take your eye off the ball for very short amounts of time so the average when I do races is about 12 minutes or 15 minutes at a time of sleep of sleep
0: and how regularly would you get these golden 15 minutes
1: it varies a lot from the it it mainly varies based on the conditions so if the conditions are really challenging there's a lot of changes in the wind you're very close to the competitors or you're close to rocks or a coastline then you will try not to sleep at all and and just be awake for the whole time so that you're alert and you can see what's happening Mm -hmm. and then if you know that you're going to be in the same conditions for the next six hours. Then you'll try and go and get your head down and and get some rest banked up for later. Mm. <laughs> so it, it varies a lot. But I think in the races I did this year, I averaged about two hours every twenty four hours. So wow, yeah, it's not much. No, and I, I th- when I looked back and I thought two hours. Actually, I probably had about six sleeps. So that's about an hour and a half. So between an hour and a half and two hours every twenty four.
0: Thanks. Um, so who's sailing the boat while you're asleep?
1: So when the when you're asleep, you have an autopilot, which is something that steers the boat. So it's a really amazing bit of equipment and you couldn't do solo sailing without it. But it doesn't make any decisions or warn you if you're about to crash into anything or change the sails for you or check where your competitors are. So while it can keep the boat going on a steady course for you, you still have to be aware of what's happening around you all the time
0: have you ever had a time where um you haven't been able to get sleep or you know that's been a issue in your in your racing
1: i had one incident it was actually the very first race of my solo sailing career and my autopilot failed so i had nothing to steer the boat for me when i was asleep so i couldn't go to sleep so i didn't go to sleep for 42 hours and i was a bit weird at the end of (laughs) it.
0: a weird how
1: I, there, I had one incident where I was having conversation with a piece of rope on the deck, and I, I just kind of caught myself, and I was like, "Actually, ropes don't have opinions. I need to have a sleep." <laughs> yeah.
0: What were you asking the rope?
1: It was I was <laughs> I was trying to to tie up the steering gear of the of the boat in such a way that I could leave it for a few minutes. You know, kind of making a makeshift autopilot. Mm-hmm and MacGyvering it, it. It MacGyvering it and it wasn't working so I was trying to kind of convince the rope to stay in place <laughs> and it was having none of it <laughs>
0: did you get some sleep after that yeah hours? so
1: what I did was I basically realized that you know that was I was beginning to be a bit dangerous so I just kind of tied it in a slightly unsatisfactory way it wasn't very fast and I just got 10 minutes of sleep and then I was good for another 10 or 12 hours so. wow.
0: Um so again like if you're getting this uh you know 2 hours and 24 how do how do you manage that how does your body manage that
1: It's pretty interesting because people are like oh I couldn't do that people are always like the first reaction is oh god that's crazy that's you know I that's unimaginable I don't know how mm-hmm. you can do it but the thing is I didn't there's nothing particularly special about me you know or I haven't trained for years at sleeping I just just kind of got stuck in and the difference is that when you're on the race like that you're just so focused on what you're doing that you're in a different setting you're in a different mode that you know you just your whole being is just thinking about the race and the boat and you know keeping keeping yourself safe keeping the boat safe but then also beating your competitors and being as fast as you can so you just really are in a different setting that's the only way I can kind of describe it you know if I might be asleep and I might be... I might have been up, you know, for 23 hours and I'll be having a 15-minute nap. Mm -hmm. And at minute eight, the wind will change and I'll feel it and I'll wake up and I'll just go on you straight away without hesitation and change the sails. Because I just... You know, I will have prepared mentally for the race beforehand and, like, this is... You know, your only objective here is to go fast and do Mm -hmm. well in the race. So that kind of overrides every level of your consciousness Mm -hmm. eventually.
0: It's (laughs) kind of like... uh the boat becomes an extension of you and things become
1: yeah yeah exactly that's a good extinction. way of looking at it yeah they are you're yeah or you're an extension of the boat or it's an extension of you one or the other you're definitely you as a person are a moving part of of, of the boat so you you just have to be ready to perform whenever it's needed
0: right so do you want to tell us about what your second thing is
1: so the second thing I was going to talk about is determination.
0: Determination. Where does determination come in for you?
1: So I took a while to think about what, what, um, what word I could use to kind of sum up lots of different parts of my project. And determination is something that's present across the board. So from the very start, you know, when I was starting out, you know, leaving my engineering job and saying, right, I'm going to be a professional sailor and then I'm going to have my own solo sailing campaign. I'm going to have my own project. It's only one sailor, so it's just all about me. And when I started, I had experience, but you just have to have some blind determination that that you're going to do it. You just put your head down and you just kind of bull on that. This is this is going to happen. I'm determined I've got the bit between my teeth and that's it.
0: And what was it like right at the start when you made that decision to become a professional sailor? What, what was your thought process?
1: My thought process was I was working as an engineer. I had an amazing engineering job and I was just not satisfied with it. And I was like, wow, that's... And that's really telling because on paper this is my perfect job but actually I'm just spending every available minute trying to get sailing or going sailing or thinking about sailing and that I was like right I think this is a sign but then that, that first step when you like anyone like anyone who's started a startup or done, done their own project by themselves independently you know it's that first Step away from what's steady. You feel like you're stepping off a cliff, basically, because you don't know when, where the next money is coming from. You don't know how you're going to survive. Is it going to work? You know, are you going to find a boat? Are you going to find a sponsor? And so you, you just have to spend a while, kind of like in blind determination. Like there's no other way of describing it. It's just like I am going to make this happen. That full stop. <laughs> and that's definitely something that is that feeling is very widespread throughout the project you know from its very genesis to where it's going in the future to when I'm at sea by myself you have to have that kind of steely determination there all the time
0: so being a professional athlete is a bit like being a uh, it's like starting a business
1: yeah definitely and the kind of so the kind of sailing I do so I'm reliant on on sponsors so my campaign is built of me and of my sponsor and we benefit mutually from each other Um, and that building that is is building a business and it's building a business on belief at the start because at the start you the sponsor needs to believe in you and vice versa but also I think a lot of what they can see or what the people I work with could see was you know how focused I was on the goal and what was going to happen and how just how determined I was to make it happen and that can carry you a really long way if, if you can communicate that you know I am I am going to do this you can be with me or you can watch
0: <laughs> and what are the sponsors looking for
1: It they vary a lot from sponsors but often what we would hope to get is particularly marketing exposure for for our sponsors so for my partners, they'd have branding on the boat, they'd um, the boat, and I would be their brand ambassadors, if you like. So, we there's lots of things that I hope I represent that <laughs> would line up nicely with our sponsors. Um, what sponsors kind messages. of what, what kind of things? So, I'll give you an example. in In 2018, I was sponsored by Bordiskiwara, who are BIM they're the Irish Seafood Development Agency, and I was promoting a seafood trail along the Wild Atlantic Way. And I grew up on the Wild Atlantic Way. My dad is a muscle farmer there. <laughs> and that's where I learned to sail. So for us, that was the perfect... That's who I am. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, I kind of... That's something I promote naturally. I suppose other important values to the project are the fact that I'm a woman kind of in a man's world, doing something different. The fact that I'm a, an Irish person and Irish people are very low minority in the sport. And...
0: Which is surprising since we're uh, an island.
1: It is, it is surprising, yeah. Our aversion to the sea and sailing is, is quite surprising, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so where does determination and belief come in when you're actually on the water?
1: Determination is really everywhere when you're on the water, for me. Because after you've been at sea for a few days, you're worn down physically, you're worn down mentally, you're worn down emotionally because you haven't slept. So everything is worn down. And we always say, you know, you've got you've got two tanks, you've got of fuel, you've got your main tank and you've got a reserve tank. And it's it's funny because any solo offshore sailor or people I know who deal a lot with sleep deprivation know exactly what you mean. If you get to the bottom of the reserve tank you're in big trouble. So but usually, by the time you get to the bottom of the main tank, you're just surviving on determination. You know, you don't really have that much energy left in your body or in your mind or any emotional capacity left, but you're just so determined that that's what's holding you together. You're like, I am finishing this race. I am beating that boat. That's it. You know, I and your body is like, ah, oh, but I think I've twisted an ankle. And you're like, shut up. <laughs> 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 this you know, this is going to happen. Or, you know, your brain is like, I'm just so tired, I can't even read these numbers, I can't figure this out. And you're like, nope, we're going to make this happen.
0: So you kind of have to keep that tank filled using mental fortitude alone.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, because you... You can't afford to go into your reserve tank basically because that's when you start talking to ropes.
0: Is there is there um is there something that like in moments that uh, fill fill that tank for you when you're on the water?
1: Definitely, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's um that is what makes it all worth it. You know, there's moments where you okay, you've had to get up, you were asleep and you've had to get up and come on deck and because you've changing the sails for the hundredth time in an hour because the wind has shifted again and your competitors just got like just come closer behind you and you're oh why am I here what am I doing to myself and you come on deck and you sort everything out you just sit there and you look around it is like the night is just completely full of stars there's absolutely no Light like pollution you're in your little boat it's totally quiet you're just slipping along and seeing you're like yeah this is amazing this was this is actually all worth it
0: um, so what kind of things do you tell yourself um, to keep keep motivated and keep going?
1: I think a lot of it is having the confidence so I kind of say like I know I can do this you know I absolutely know I can do this I've done it before. Or I'm so determined that I'll have to lose a limb to not do it. You know, this. They're kind of what you do. What you try and tell yourself, and you try and kind of keep it logical. You know as well. Well, you just do this, and then you just do this. And I mean, I don't have a lot of the time. It's it's that much. You almost don't have the energy to be super inspiring for yourself, or super motivating, or kind of give yourself a pep talk. You can maybe be like, okay, I'm going to eat this handful of peanuts and then I'm going to do that job. And that's probably about as motivating as you get. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I think for me, like, I definitely would have little words, things that I repeat over and over again, like, I know I can, I know I can, I know I can. And that is kind of useful, but that's just a little, like, drone in your head that's like, you just have to keep pushing until this is done. It's
0: Thomas, the tank engine, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's a good quote. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> great um so what about your third thing
1: so for my third thing i have chosen risk and i think risk is very related in a way to to determination and and belief
0: it's almost the flip side of it
1: yeah it is and it's interesting that just that's i kind of only realized that when i started exploring that in my mind risk what what does that mean and what does it mean in the context of what I do?
0: So, how do you how do you approach risk?
1: So, I would say that I don't have that much risk in my life, but the people around me, you you know, people around me who know what I do are like you do actually have quite a lot of risk in your life. <laughs> so, I, I think again, like like determination, risk is in every aspect of of. My project, you know, so I took a risk quitting my quitting my engineering job. Mm -hmm. You know, I took a massive pay cut. It was huge. In fact, it went from being paid to not being paid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't know when, where the next money was going to come from. Um, I suppose you you do take a risk every time you leave the dock by yourself. You know, sailing sailing offshore is, you know, can be can be reasonably dangerous if you.
0: What's that moment like when the boat leaves the dock?
1: It depends a lot on on a lot a number of factors. I'd say probably the hardest, well not the hardest, but the most charged departure of the dock was during my biggest race this year. Um, there was four legs in the race, and leaving the dock for the first leg of the race, there was um, it was really windy, and the forecast was to get even worse. And it was my first time doing this race, and I just had all these emotions. You know, it was the He was the main race of the season and I think there was just so much weighing up on my mind and and the risk is almost like a silent weight on your mind. You don't really realise that that's what you're worried about. In fact, you usually will be like, okay, I'm going to worry. I'm worried about the start. I'm going to worry about my tactics on the first leg of the race. I'm worried about my sales, have I done have I trimmed them right? Have I remembered to pack on my food? You know, so you put all your stress or your your nervousness into other things. Um, and you don't think, What if my mass falls down in that big gust that's forecast? You know, mm-hmm. you don't think about that. You obviously you have a plan, you have a logical plan. So I know I know what I would do you know i would get my hacksaw out and i would cut the rigging away and i would set off my perp and i would set off my beacon and i'd radio blah blah you know i have a procedure but that the risk side of it is something that it's funny i don't really weigh it up as a as a tangible thing
0: maybe mm-hmm. maybe you have to kind of compartmentalize um the more serious risks so that you can deal with the uh with the the smaller things
1: yeah yeah I think, I think that's very true, but the risk is definitely a presence there, you know, it's what makes you, you know, hold on extra tight at night or always remember to have your life jacket on or always, you know, these, these things that, you know, as you get tired and tired you'll forget loads of other stuff around the boat, you know, you'll forget where you left your gloves or you'll forget to pull the sail in properly or you'll forget where the next mark is, but you'll never forget those things that are related to the risk.
0: Mm-hmm. you kind of make them automatic processes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or if you feel, if you feel like the wind is getting up and you've to reduce your sail, that's no matter how tired you are, you always find the energy to do that job because that's a risk related job.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about some um a risky moment at water?
1: I had a day crossing the Bay of Biscay during a race this year where They had the forecast for Cape Finisterre, which is the northwest corner of of Spain, um, kind of near Portugal there. That is a notoriously rough bit of sea. You can get really big waves. The wind accelerates really strongly around there and the acceleration zone is about 300 miles wide, so it's, it's almost impossible to avoid. So we had a forecast for about 70 knots there. Which is about 90 miles an hour wind. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a 30 foot boat by yourself and you've just been at sea for two days, you don't that's not really what you want. And it's a rocky area and there's lots of shipping and there's big waves and the wind is going to change direction, which means the waves would be even bigger. So we kind of had this like perfect storm of conditions forecast. and just kind of as we got closer and closer to that situation, my fear I guess increased. But I wouldn't say fear, but my, like, awareness of the level of risk increased. And I got twitchier and twitchier. You know, if the second a gust came through, I would, like, take the sails down. And then it would pass, and i put them up again really quickly. But I would be just so totally, totally on edge and alert. And ironically, when we arrived at Cape Finestere, um, we were meant to be going into kind of 50 knot winds, then 60, then 70. And we got to, like, 45, and a big gust came in and I was like okay I'm gonna take some sails down so I took some sails down and I went for sleep because I'm like okay it's manageable now but it might get unmanageable and I woke up 10 minutes later and the wind was down to like a nice breeze it was grand it was totally fine and it was like that all night and the forecast had just been completely wrong and that was just I mean obviously it was a massive relief but it was just that I almost had kind of a overha uh, hangover from having like this fear, this or this awareness that the, that risk was coming for the whole day.
0: <laughs> and for somebody who's never been in a sailing boat before, what is it actually like to be in in those kind of winds?
1: It's interesting. People often ask about that. You know, are you are you scared? And yeah, in that situation, I was scared, but I was more scared of what was to come of the unknown that was to come rather than the conditions I was in at the time. And when it is really windy, often the thing is often that the conditions have changed slowly over time. So you have a chance to get used to it. Like if say if the weather changes over a week and it goes from cold to warm, you you kinda get used to it. You know, you you take your jacket off and you don't bring a jumper to work one day and you you adjust. But if one day it's 25 degrees and the next day you step out the wind door and it's minus five, you'd be like, whew, that was extreme. <laughs> so usually I have the time, the weather changes quickly, but often not that quickly. So I'll usually either know in the forecast something is coming or I'll have a bit of time to prepare both physically and mentally um, for winds like that. And, and that's, for me, it's um, preparation and like preparation minimizes the risk and i will spend a lot of time you know like i said yes or yeah for example there's a risk of my mass falling down i'll have a procedure that i'm going to follow when my mass falls down and that's i suppose that does help mentally deal with deal with risk thinking okay what am i going to do if this happens okay i'll follow this procedure that i've figured out
0: mm-hmm. and um actually fear can be like a self defense mechanism as well
1: yeah yeah it I think having that, it having fear will definitely keep you awake, make you stronger, make you more likely to to do a job or reduce a sale or move something or check something because you feel like there's a risk associated with it if you don't.
0: Mm-hmm. So the Vendée Globe, it's uh, quite a risky uh, endeavour, isn't it?
1: <laughs> the Vendée Globe is, by its nature, because it's a solo round-the-world race, yeah, it is quite risky because you spend a lot of time in a very isolated part of the world. Um, of course, for example, sailing across the Atlantic is also risky, but there's a lot of boats that do that, and there are there's ships and there's airplanes and helicopters, and you there are people around if stuff goes wrong, but. When you do the Vendée Globe, you go down into the very south of the planet. You go into what we call the Southern Ocean, which is really the southern parts of the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. And there's nobody there. At some stage in the Vendée Globe, the people closest to the competitors are the people in the International Space Station. Wow. Because they're so far away from land in any direction. Yeah. So that definitely would increase the risk. And... How the, does
0: how does that kind of isolation play on you?
1: That that kind of isolation again. I think. I mean, I don't know. I haven't been there yet, but I think I would deal with that in the same way that I deal with the the risks that I have now. Yeah, the risks are higher, but that will then change your behaviour. So you'll be more conservative. You'll know, okay, if if X, then Y or Z, but. I haven't got a, a third option, you know, I have to save myself, I have to, I have to be able to communicate to other people and I have to be able to survive on the boat for X number of weeks if something goes really wrong. So I think you, you will adapt your, your um, risk coping strategies to that.
0: Brilliant, so uh, thank you Joan for coming on the show and um, talking to us about sleep, determination and risk as it applies to professional offshore solo sailing. Um, you're going to be the first Irish woman to compete in the Vendée Globe, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's my plan. So in fact, um, there's only one Irish person has ever started it and unfortunately he didn't finish it. So if I was to complete the race, I'd be the first Irish woman to do so. I'd be the first Irish person, actually.
0: So where can we follow your progress?
1: So I have a website, which is joanmulloy.com, J-O-A-N-M-U-L-L-O-Y.com, and I'm also on Facebook and Instagram as Racing.
0: Thank you very much, Joan. Great, thanks. That was episode one of three things. On our team, we have Florence Irwin, Ed Allen, and myself, George Hooker. The show is sponsored by SNP Communications and Zephyr Films. Next episode, we'll be talking to Miss Laura Lavelle about burlesque. Her three things are body image, liberation and humour. Thanks for listening. And see you next time.